This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, where if you're a new Calvinist and you texted this podcast, we would respond with hi with a bunch of eyes because we're excited. I'm your host, <laughs> Matt, and this is Pastor Michael. Brilliant introduction, as always. Uh, definitely would go with a lot of eyes. We, we work hard on these. We work hard right. on these. Take a we, lot of time and effort to put into this one. And so today we are going to put in a lot of effort on this podcast because we are going to, we're going to try and be successful and do a good job because we are going to review just a, a scathing TGC article, Pastor Michael. Scathing. TGC coming out, coming off the top ropes to make bold pronouncements. I know it's what they're known for. And, and here we go, but I think this is a really important topic given the times we've been in and, and actually given the, the scriptural principles that it will call, cause us to think through. So, so on August 18th, Jonathan Lehman on the Gospel Coalition website published an article, an article called, There's No Such Thing as Virtual Church. And so in, you know, this is a, I was interested in this article because it, it does not seem to be the kind of type of article TGC is known for publishing. I would like to note to our viewers, if you are following us on Facebook or Instagram, we would love recommendations from places like TGC. If you would like us to discuss some kind of thing they're publishing on an application of Reformed theology to our life or our current moment. Yeah, anything that you find, especially in the new Calvinist sphere, um, we really appreciate. We've had quite a few uh, people reaching out with recommendations and things they'd like us to cover at some point. We haven't gotten to all of it yet. So if there's something that you have asked us to cover and we have not gotten there yet, that's because uh, this is something we do on the side. We don't do this full time. Uh, it's, I mean, there's only so much we can do. We're limited in our ability. So, uh, and our capability. So, uh, be patient with us, but yeah, if you have something you want us to talk about, um, and discuss a little bit, we'd love to do it. We'd probably love to have you on the show to do it with us. But today we are discussing virtual church and if it exists, Pastor yes. Michael, how do you, what, do you have any opening thoughts as we kind of come to a discussion like this? Yeah. So, I mean, number one, uh, the very idea of virtual church is uh, something that only makes sense to the modern understanding of the world. <laughs> uh, so that's number one. I mean, just the very idea of it uh, seems as though it is like this is a modern phenomenon uh, that I cannot imagine uh, being uh, something that anybody would even imagine talking about at earlier times, um, although maybe in in some ways that we can get into it, it could have been true at other times. But anyway, so right off the top, I mean, the very idea of virtual church makes me think fake church. Right. That's that's what it makes me think. I, and I do think that's a good point that even up until 50 years ago, if we said, hey, do you think virtual church is real, is a legitimate form of church. It's not that people would have agreed with you or vehemently disagreed with you. They would have had no idea what you were talking about. Yeah. The, the question would have been, uh, excuse me, what? Right. Right. And so, so I do think in our time where this kind of question is new, is being asked, 
and TGC has answered with such a uh, no nuanced hammer. I, I mean, I think it's it's time for the Restless Podcast to wade into the waters with Jonathan Lehman. Let's wade into the virtual waters. That's right. On this virtual podcast talking about a virtual blog talking about virtual church. That's right. So before we begin, we are going to play a game that I think I'm going to try and make Pastor Michael play more often here in the Reformed world. And the game is called Agree, Disagree, or Nuance. And if you have a better name for this game, we'd love it because I can't wait to make Michael and our guests play this going forward. And so before we decide about the contents, the quality of the article, I want Michael and I to answer if we agree with the statement that this article is titled, there's no such thing as virtual church. And so your the answers are agree, disagree, or nuance. And if you choose nuance, you have to record yourself doing a reaction to a Rob Bell Numa video. <laughs> so punish you. For- oh man, that would actually be really fun uh, to go back and watch. Well, and I say fun. Uh, but what I mean is, you know, horrible, but probably good podcast material. Um, I haven't even heard the word Numa video for a long time. So that would be, that would you be gotta great. do the one with the fires where he's making the fire. That's the, oh one. yeah. Where he's making the big fire. He's talking about the different words for love. Yep. Yeah. That's the best one. So pastor Michael, without further ado, there's no such thing as virtual church agree, disagree, or nuance. Well, I'm actually going to disappoint you because uh, I didn't know. We talked a little bit about how we were going to do this beforehand, but I didn't know what the qu- exact question was going to be. So I assumed that I was going to pick nuance, uh, but I'm actually going to just straight up agree. I think uh, there's no s- such thing as virtual church. I'm just going to agree with that. I am as well. And we are going to put this poll out on our Facebook page or however we can do that to see if our where our listeners fall out. If you want to. If you want to give us a nuanced explanation, please do. Uh, we're here for that. So, Pastor Michael, what caused you from to decide that you did straight up agree, thinking you might nuance it? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I thought I would uh, end up nu- nuancing it simply because of, you know, I mean, if there could be an understanding that would say, okay, you say there's no such thing as virtual church, but we've just come through a period where many of our churches, uh, we're meeting virtually in some capacity. Um, so we were, you know, uh, maybe hearing a sermon online or we were having an entire worship service delivered uh, through the computer or something like that, while most of us were still in our homes. And uh, I would not say that the fact that a church does that for a short period of time means that they are no longer a church or something like that. So so that would have been my nuanced take. Um, but if the, the statement is simply, uh, there's no such thing as virtual church. I just have to agree, uh, because the church is not something that can be, uh, virtual, uh, that what the church is and what it's for, uh, is not something that can be done, um, simply, uh, in your living room on a computer screen. It cannot be done virtually. It's something that has to be embodied. Yep. And I'll, I'll take my agreement with it maybe even one step farther. The meeting of the church for worship is not virtual and cannot be done virtually. Yes. Um, and now maybe later we will 
we'll back end this with nuance, but that, that is what, how I'm agreeing. So let's find out, let's read through this. We are going to let pastor Michael react to us reading this article live. It's very short and he can, uh, we can see what level of argumentation TGC provides for this bold claim. So pastor Michael, do you want to read the first uh, section of it for us? Sure. This is Jonathan, Jonathan Lehman. Now, The COVID-19 pandemic was challenging for churches around the world, precisely because in so many places, the saints had difficulty gathering and learning to cherish the word of God together. After a few months of not gathering during the early days of COVID-19, I felt as if I were losing track of my church. Friends would ask, how is your church doing? I had had, had a hard time answering. I was making regular phone calls and sending text messages to individual members, but I couldn't get my mind around the whole body. The church felt like rainwater on a parking lot after a storm spread thin with puddles here and there. The elders worried most about spiritually weak members who were struggling in their faith or facing particular temptations. We worried about those who already seemed to be drifting spiritually, those with one foot out the door months before the pandemic forced them out altogether. Yet not gathering affected everyone, the spiritually mature and immature alike. Each one of us needs to see and to hear our fellow saints regularly. Otherwise, it's only colleagues at work, friends at school, or TV characters whose patterns we observe. So I think uh, Jonathan Lehman comes in, right? He's coming in with a, we'll call it with a soft touch. I'll point out one, one good point in this is that the not meeting of the church was, was very negative for most churches and most Christians around the world. Most of them did not come out of this stronger. Now, yeah, I, I can't imagine uh, that um, it was good for anyone. Uh, I uh, think specifically about, you know, conversations I had uh, with, you know, someone from our church, you know, very, uh, very strong in the Lord, you know, very faithful person who said something to the effect of, you know, after I missed one week of church, you know, I, I feel like something's really wrong. If I miss two weeks of church, I get to the point where I'm, you know, more or less spiritually depressed. After three weeks of church, I start to question, am I really even a Christian anymore? Mm. Or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, this is, this came from somebody who, you know, whose faith I, you know, am uh, extremely encouraged by. And yet even they felt like this is, you know, this is rough. When the pandemic hit and we did shut down for a time at our church, um, there were some people that, you know, just being in their homes alone, especially those who were single, you know, who didn't have uh, even family around them. Uh, who I was in touch with regularly. Some I called, you know, was talking to literally daily because uh, they just, you know, it, they were all alone in every capacity, um, you know, work from home, uh, you know, church, not meeting. Um, it was, uh, it was brutal, absolutely brutal. And so why that's an important point is while pastor and Michael, again, likely are not going to take a position on if your church ever should have stopped meeting but that there were negative that whatever, for whatever reasons we had to stop meeting, chose to stop meeting. That was a trade-off to real negatives. And Jonathan Lehman is pointing that out. And so you can call Jonathan Lehman if you don't like that take. So let me read the next section and we will continue on again. This is Jonathan Lehman. Once the pandemic began, many churches live streamed their services and many extolled the enduring value of virtual church. Pastors who had previously decried the idea now opened virtual campuses 
and staffed them with full-time pastors, promising that campuses would continue indefinitely. This was an exciting development in the history of fulfilling the Great Commission, some said. I wish there was a link so we could know who that was, just as an aside. Yes. And yet, we wonder, what's missing when your church experience is nothing more than a weekly live stream? For starters, you think less about your fellow members. They don't come to mind. You don't bump into them and have a quick conversations that lead to longer conversations over dinner. Beyond that, you remove yourself from the path of encouragement, accountability, and love. Praise God that we can download biblical truths, but let's praise God that the Christian life is more than an information transfer. When the church is online, we can't feel, experience, and witness those truths becoming enfleshed in the family of God, which both fortifies our faith and creates love cords between brothers and sisters. Virtual church is an oxymoron. Now, I think that, again, this is a right? Again, we largely agree with this, right? Even this last statement of virtual church being an oxymoron, that was kind of Pastor Michael's beginning beginning position. But let me, let me tell you where this is, this is start. The article has started to wear on me and you're like, why you're saying you agree with it. I'm, 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 I'm not getting a doctrinal case for this. I, I want, I want to know what is the theology? What is the biblical teaching about this? Now, because otherwise, the people who are extolling their new virtual pastor on their virtual campus, where you can wear your reality goggles and walk in and, and sing with everyone, right? They're going, to, they're going to make the exact opposite point. They're going to say that, no, we're, we're in a digital world. We connect with people primarily digitally now, right? We can encourage each other, you know? Right, they're gonna they're going to completely run this case back on you unless we have theological grounding. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I mean, so far, I think it's a fine article. Um, you know, you can only do so much in yep. in what you're writing. So uh, obviously, his primary take is uh, you know a very uh, congregational you know model. Hey, we don't have each other; we need each other, and I love it. That's true. Um, it's great. And uh, I think that's right. I think even as we're reading, I'm thinking about uh, two particular images that the, the scripture uses to speak about the church. Um, number one, as a, a body, mm. right? So like the church is a body. We are connected. We are one uh, in Christ who is the head. I mean, we each have different, uh, different particular, uh, you know, uh, abilities and giftings that we have. Uh, made for particular purposes within the body, but we are one body. And what does the image of a body bring, you know, to mind? It's just the, this idea of physicality. Um, we are we are physical creatures. We're made for a physical world. And much of our modern tendency is to be Gnostics, to um, try to, you know, uh, in some way transcend the physical uh, reality. Uh, when that's not what we're supposed to do, right? So even when, you know, sometimes people get confused with this because the Bible often talks about, you know, the earthly things and, you know, uh, taking your mind off of earthly things and setting them on things above. And they think that the, the earthly means like the body. It means like the physical uh, way that God has made the world. And that's not true at all. It's, it's speaking specifically of the, you know, the, the sinful world, the world as it is set up in contradiction to God and rebellion to God. Um, but it's, it's not, uh, anti-physical. In fact, we're supposed to, 
you know, uh, offer up uh, spiritual worship uh, through sacrificing, you know, ourselves through, through offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what Paul says in Romans 12. And so um, like the, the idea that physicality is, is bad in some capacity has definitely infiltrated much of evangelicalism. And so this just puts you in a natural place where all of a sudden, well, you know, all of a sudden you can start uh, denying the goodness of, you know, physical presence, um, the need for physical presence. I'm also thinking of the image of the household of God, um, that the church is like a family. And, uh, you know, as much as, again, in our kind of modern understanding of, of family and household, everything can be virtual. It's like, well, you know, all we're, all we really are is tied together by sentiment and I can have sentiment for you from a distance. Um, uh, an, you know, uh, uh, an ancient understanding of household, especially that you would get uh, in the days of the apostles in the first century, uh, is one that necessitates uh, proximity and necessitates like close personal interaction regularly, um, physically. Um, and so uh, again, just the, like the, the, the world, and the faith that God has given us is something that's supposed to be embodied, you know, incarnated. Uh, and so when you start to uh, try to pull back from that in, in even, you know, small ways, um, you are really pushing against the, the very way that God has made the world and the way that God has made the church. Yeah. And I think we are actually going to skip the middle section of this article because I think Pastor Michael just wrote the section messy blessings in a much more interesting and helpful way. But right, the middle point for for Lehman is that we need these relationships that might be quote unquote messy. Isn't that quite the buzzword these days? And we need the we need to rub shoulders with each other, right? Uh, I think Pastor Michael gave us a much a much more a much more cosmic, a much more historic view of how to think through those things. And and I think that let's go to the final section because I think this is where uh, he says where he kind of comes to his final point about, about this. So Pastor Michael, will you read his section? We are not autonomous. The push toward the virtual church we fear is a push to individual Christianity. We can debate the wisdom of using such a tool for a limited time in an emergency situation, such as a pandemic coastal cities in the United States couldn't meet Sunday evenings during world war II due to government imposed blackouts. Fair enough yet to offer or encourage even with good intentions, virtual church as a permanent option hurts Christian discipleship. It trains Christians to think of their faith as autonomous. It teaches them they can follow Jesus as a member of the family of God in some abstract sense without teaching them what it means to be a part of a family and to make sacrifices for a family. In that regard, pastors should encourage people away from virtual attendance as much as they are able. We need to find a gentle way to remind our members that the live stream option is not good for them. It's not good for their discipleship and it's not good for their faith. We want this to be clear to them lest they become complacent and not work hard at gathering with us if they can. The Bible's command to gather is not meant to be burdensome. See Hebrews 10, 25 and 1 John 5, 3, but is given for the good of our faith, our love and our joy. So I think this is where he comes, you know, to his final point and I think that there are a few interesting things about this article. He uses we a lot as if he's speaking for some group. Um, I'm not quite sure who that is. I think it, again, I think that this is the kind of thing we, and we'll talk about this at the end. There's some reason TGC is pushing this out this August. 
I think, right, the debatable point in my mind, and which he even says, the debate is the wisdom of using such a tool for a limited emergency situation. Right. I think, and, and then what does it mean? How do we remind people that they need to be in attendance? And, and what I found this article saying, while it did, I think it has a fair point. I think it makes fair points is I actually don't think it makes a, a scriptural case, a strong scriptural case for like, what, what could I do that would encourage someone that would say the meeting of the church is, is supposed to be physical or is physical. Pastor Michael, when reformed Christians think about worship, when we think about the church, how do we determine, how do we answer these questions? Yeah, so this goes back to the regulative principle and what uh, we have talked about in the past. So you can go and find, uh, you know, the episode that we did at one point on the regulative principle where we talked about uh, Actually, worship. We, we did an episode on Reformed theology, and that was a part of it. But oh, yes. Maybe yep. we should Please do explain. an episode on it soon. Uh, I feel like we did a whole episode on it, but maybe it was just a, a small portion of it. Um, so so anyway, yeah, it was, so it's in our episode uh, on what it means to be reformed, right? That's where people can find it. Um, so, so you can go and look there and we did discuss at least briefly the regulative principle. We can do that again. And just to kind of break it down to make it, uh, you know, kind of easily understandable in this moment. Uh, basically what we mean there is God gets to dictate to us how we are to worship. Uh, and so how the, you know, worship of the church should conduct itself, how the church should conduct itself in worship is ultimately decided by God. And so we find this in scripture. We go to um, special revelation to determine uh, how God would have us worship. Uh, so, in other, so in other words, God decides uh, what we are to do. And so that's why when we're sitting here talking and we're saying, okay, well, what is the theological case for this, uh, for a like you know meeting together in worship and why that's necessary and that virtual church is not church? Well, it's because we're talking about the body of Christ. It's because we're talking about the household of God. This is something that requires, you know, embodiment. It requires physical, uh, physical, uh, contact. Um, I would also add this, this is uh, in acts two, uh, just after Pentecost, when, uh, Peter and the apostles have preached, they've spoken in tongues. Peter preaches his Pentecost sermon and many come to faith 5,000 in one day. Uh, and it, it says this near the end of the chapter. It says, and they, the church, that is, that's these disciples, uh, all those who were saved. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And, uh, you know, you could try to argue that, you know, to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, this is something that could theoretically be done, you know, virtually. Well, I can hear the Bible. I can hear the Bible read. I can hear it, you know. Or uh, I study preach. Paul's letters. Right? Yeah, I study Paul's letters. I read them. Right. Paul sent letters to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, different churches, um, although he desperately wanted to be with them. Uh, and that really matters. Um, but nonetheless, like you do have like, so there are, there are certain elements uh, of this that maybe you could say, yeah, that could be done from a distance. Prayers. We could offer prayers uh, together. Not long before this, Matt and I, Matt was uh, praying uh, and I was praying from a distance, kind of joining my prayers uh, with his for uh, some given things. And so um, like that can be done uh, to a certain extent anyway, but you can't break bread with someone else from a distance, right? So like we can't have a virtual meal together. That doesn't work. That's not a real thing. Uh, we cannot fellowship 
in the truest, like deepest sense of the word. Uh, you know, you might say, well, I get to talk to people, right? But you know that uh, talking to somebody is not the same as being with them. We all know that, which is why when I go to, uh, you know, a family Bible camp that I've been going to my whole life this past weekend, um, and there's people that, you know, maybe I interact with on Facebook, maybe I, you know, talk to on the phone once over the course of a year. Um, but when I see them and I'm with them and I'm physically next to them and we're, we're eating meals together, like this brings out this kind of, you know, community love and, and care for one another that you cannot get uh, from a distance. And so the same thing that happens on a regular basis uh, at, you know, on a Sunday morning, right? This is, this is where, you know, true fellowship actually happens in the Lord. Uh, and so it just, it cannot be done from a distance. I think that Pastor Michael has given us the, the starting place for it. So when the early churches described their activities, it describes in-person meetings. Yes. And, and fellowship, right? Sometimes people say things like, well, fellowship needs to mean more than Christians just being together. Well, it probably shouldn't mean less. Yeah. Right? And, and I agree with the point about breaking bread. And I believe that that is ex- especially the point, especially if that is a description of the Lord's Supper, which, right, which we it don't almost have, definitely is. Yeah. Which it almost certainly is. But I, I know that there are some smart people who might debate with us. So I want to, I want to offer a few scriptural reasons for the point of view. <laughs> my kids are just happy right now for why, <laughs> why that is the case, why the early church met this way. So one, we have <laughs> one second. Hey, can you not scream over where dad's recording quick? <laughs> it's okay. Think- it's, it's funny. I think you should leave it in. Okay. Oh, I'm probably going to, I'm not going to re-say it. It's, it's staying in. Uh, first, we have Hebrews 10.25, which is yep. n- not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of. So that means there were Christians meeting, some were in the habit of not meeting, but encouraging one another and all the time more as you see the day drawing near. What are the descriptions in the Bible of the day drawing near? We have things like the pale horse whose name is death a horse rider whose judgments are pestilence. The, the letter to the Hebrews is likely to persecuted Christians. He's telling them to keep meeting because there's, there's some lack of comfort or something better these people believe they could be doing. And so I think that there is a direct encouragement to be meeting from Hebrews. My second reason is one that the verse Michael shared already touched on is the sacraments, yeah. is the sacraments. You cannot do the sacraments without being physically together. That's right. These are things that take place that are directly commanded by God to be done uh, that are physical. They're, physical they require elements physical presence. And other people. So my description of, of this, I think, of the Lord's Supper, a good clear one comes from 1 Corinthians 11. I'll read a few verses. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord... Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we see that the Lord's Supper is an ongoing reality for us. But a few verses later, Paul says this to the Corinthians about their practice of the Lord's Supper. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, 
wait for one another. So you can't do this without the other people to the point that he's saying you that there was sin going on because they weren't waiting. But doesn't right. that mean that you just need to make sure that you're all linked up at the same time on the live stream and just taking it in your homes, Matt? Right. But he says, if anyone is at hungry, let him eat at home so that oh. when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about other things, I will give directions when I come, right? He contrasts your ability and freedom to do whatever you want in your home with what you do when you get together. Yeah. yeah and absolutely. I, and I do think you know, there are certain churches and certain traditions that only want us to use one loaf of bread because they see that as symbolic. And, and you go, well, what, what would the, the sacramental nature of only using one loaf of bread be? It's that we're one united body together. And so the symbol, I'm not arguing for exclusively using one loaf of bread or one cup, but I am arguing for the reality, the sacra- the reality behind that as central to what we're doing. And so I think that my, my second reason is the sacraments. And my third would be, uh, again, it's from first Corinthians, but it is your need for the entire body of Christ, which pastor Michael's Mm -hmm. already gotten to. It says, Paul says in first Corinthians 14, 26, what then brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all these things be done for the building up. So Paul has said that in the Corinthian meeting, you need all of the body, the gifts for worship, for edification to occur as God intended it to. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just thinking, even as we're talking of the picture of recognizing, knowing Jesus uh, that is the story of the road to Emmaus. You have disciples who in Christ in his resurrected body, they don't recognize him. Um, and it takes, you know, this walking with him, him explaining to them from the scriptures, uh, you know, how all of these things pointed ultimately to the fact that Jesus was going to die. He walks with them through the scriptures, um, literally walks with them in fellowship. He sits down with them to eat and it's in his breaking of bread with them that they finally recognize who he is. They finally realize, you know, what exactly is going on. I think this is a picture for us uh, of the Christian life of discipleship of the life of the church, right? It takes walking together with the Lord, hearing his word, actually, you know, breaking bread with one another, literally having, you know, the, the breaking of bread of Christ as, as he through his church uh, does uh, administer these things to us and, and these things become a means of grace for us by faith. And so we're, we're, we are, you know, through all of this, able to truly recognize and know Jesus. Um, this is, this is what it takes. And so, uh, yeah, I can't, uh, I feel like we can't stress enough the importance in our day, particularly when everything is being um, abstracted to say, no physical presence matters. Yes. And And this is why the regulative principle is so important because in our day, and I feel it too, as Michael and I record this podcast over, over zoom, I understand the tendency and and the lack of understanding of a need for physical presence because of the more limited role it plays in my everyday life. But this is why we must ask what has God said and 
Has God determined to work through the physical world? That's the question. Has God determined to work through the physical world? I believe the passages we have shared have answered yes. And I believe the fact that our Savior was incarnate, lived a physical life, and died physically, right? His physical death and blood being spilt was required for our salvation. Right. Now, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate example. And that's what all of even these small examples point to, right? But we can't say in that case that what we do physically doesn't matter and the physical world can be an afterthought. So, Pastor Michael, we have an important question now, I think, because of how heavy we've come down. The question is, we have listeners, we know we have listeners in Australia, we have listeners all over the world, we have listeners in different parts of this country whose churches have practiced different things. Some who may have met on Zoom or met through a live stream link for a year, maybe longer. Maybe they are again with the new, with the new um, strains that are going around. What are, we, what are we saying to them? What are we saying about their church? Because we are committed to you being committed to your church <laughs> as churchmen. And so it could seem like we are just going to be burdening the consciences of people who now don't know what to do. Yeah. And so uh, go back to number one, how we've said in the past, and we would continue to say, um, listen to your elders, you know, like trust the leaders of the church. Um, Here's the reality. God has chosen in this world um, to work through the leadership of fathers, um, fathers in homes, and then fathers in the church, in the household of God. Um, That is to say elders. And um, he does that and he chose to do that knowing that we would make mistakes, you know, knowing that no one would have a perfect father, no one would have uh, a perfect set of elders. And so even if they are making mistakes at times in the decisions that they make, this is how God has uh, decided to govern the church and how he's decided to govern you. And so baseline is trust. Trust those who God has placed in authority over you. Um, this includes uh, those, uh, you know, um, uh, political leaders as well, right? Fathers in the government um, and and things. So the, the baseline should be one of God has ordained this. This is how he's deciding to work. Okay, you know, now I'm working within that. Um, now, that doesn't mean in every case uh, that there's not a point in which you say, okay, well, this is too much. This is enough. This is lack of faithfulness, things like that. But all that ultimately has to come down to, you know, judging from the scripture itself. Uh, but no, if, if you have been in a position where, you know, say you're in an Australia or something and it's, you know, you have had an extremely harsh, uh, heavy handed lockdown of some kind and you, you are not allowed to meet. And it is quite literally, you know, going to mean, uh, you know, extreme, uh, extreme penalties, uh, for you and probably, uh, you know, massive consequences for your families and for the families of the churches, if you did try to meet. Um, so maybe you're unable to meet. Um, I think in what we're saying, we're not saying, okay, well, you're evil because you are not uh, meeting. Um, Mm -hmm. You probably hopefully feel like, oh man, I miss meeting together so much. And I think part of what we're saying is, yes, that's right. You should. Um, You should recognize that this is not right. Mm -hmm. Even if it has to be done for a time, which I think we would even agree with Jonathan Lehman on, there are times when this might be necessary. It does not mean that it's good. 
And so something can be necessary and can even be something that God himself has, has ordained um, for, for uh, discipline or judgment or something like that. You know, think of, you know, the example that Jonathan Lehman gave of World War II. I'm not sure how I feel about the example of, you know, conserving energy and that meaning you couldn't meet. I, that doesn't make sense to me. But uh, if this was wartime and literally war is going on all around you, you may not be able to meet with your church. Um, there are there are other reasons why you know you may not be able to uh, physically meet, uh, but what we want to realize in those times is that this isn't right. This is an effect of the fall. It's sinful. It's you know it's either due to you know our sin or uh, a nation's sins or just sins in general or Adam's sin or you know I mean it's it's due to the sinfulness of the world, the sinfulness of our own hearts that we could be put into positions where we cannot, um, in the perfect sense, obey God. Uh, this is why we need a savior, right? This is why we need Christ. And so, so number one, uh, I think we would say, you know, uh, you know, God bless you. Uh, we know it's hard. All right. Mm -hmm. We know that, uh, the kinds of people that listen to this podcast are devastated, uh, that they cannot, you know, be together with other believers on the Lord's day worshiping. And so if you're in that position, um, it is not right. And it's mm -hmm. good to feel that it is not right. Yeah. And I would say that if, you don't understand your elders position. We do believe you are duty bound to obey them, but you can talk to them. Please do. You, yeah, you, you should. Can, you should discuss your concerns and ask for the reasoning. And I do think, Pastor Michael, you hit kind of the other really important things. I do think we do believe there is a, a sense of a kind of providential hindering that can happen. You can, by becoming sick yourself, by being a war, right? Different things can prevent you from saying, from being able to meet for worship. And that is not a good thing, but it can be a thing that happens. And yes. what we're saying is when the church Michael's a pastor at closed for a short time and met primarily via Zoom and uh, YouTube live stream, what we aren't saying is that that was good. But we are, and, and what we also are saying, this is maybe one of the important lines we're drawing is that that wasn't the meeting of the church for worship. It was right. a ministry. It was Pastor Michael and the senior pastor finding ways to minister, try and lead the congregation in the Bible as much as they could in light of the horrible circumstances, just like we would with shut-ins and other people who are prevented from attending worship. And so I think that's an important point. What we're saying is that if that is a tool, we're not saying it was a temporary replacement. I'm saying it was not the worship of God that he's commanded. And then the second thing is, is that, yes, there are groups, there are, might be churches we are saying actually sinned in deciding that they could, right? If they set up virtual, if they're saying we're setting up virtual campuses, right? If they're, if they're that far, we are saying that. And, and, and Pastor Michael even said, it's possible your elders sinned and, and it's we're, and he's even saying it's still good to obey them. And I agree, but that, but what I don't understand is when I say, so yeah, it is sinful. It is. And it, you know, it's not good. And we, Pastor Michael has gotten to that. That doesn't mean my art that I'm making some kind of outlandish, outrageous claim. We're Christians. We believe we sin. We believe we need a savior, right? That's the point is when I say, I think this was sinful. That's not a like, that's not a mic drop. I'm done with you. That's, right. this is part of the Christian life, right? Yep. The, to the Baptists here, right? 
I, I think there's a really important statement in the Westminster Confession of Faith when it talks about people who don't baptize their children. It says, although it be a great sin to condemn or neglect this ordinance, yet grace and salvation are not so inseparably annexed unto it that a person cannot be regenerated or saved without it, or that all baptized are undoubtedly regenerated. The Westminster is saying, we believe it's, it's sinful to not baptize your children. But what they then say is, it's not so great a sin that you can't be saved, right? Right. And, and, and in our day, because of how we react to these kinds of things, we go, whoa, you think it's sin? And the answer is yes, but that, that shouldn't surprise you. Because I'm a sinner and you're a sinner and we need Jesus. That's the point of what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, uh, you know, if your church is going down the road where they're saying, yep, we're setting up, you know, TV church now, and this is how we're going to do it long-term or something like that. This is a serious concern that you need to be, you know, worried about, um, that you need to talk about, that you need to deal with. Um, if you're having, yeah, like a virtual pastor, right. Or something like that, there's something, there's something that is, that is clearly off and wrong in, how this is being thought of. Um, however, yeah, like, I mean, like, like you said, uh, we want to, we understand that you may be in a position where um, it's out of your control and you are not meeting. Uh, mm-hmm. We're not saying uh, that that's good by any means. We want you to be able to meet. We want you to be able to meet physically, you know, presently um, with other believers. Uh, but we do understand that that does happen. And so our coming down and saying it is not right to think of a virtual meeting as if it is the same thing as the church meeting together on the Lord's day for worship. Um, that's not to say that there can't be some benefit from it, um, that it's not, you know, better than nothing. Even, um, I do like, I was very blessed. We, you know, being able to connect with people on a regular basis, uh, whether it be on the phone, whether it be through zoom, whether it be, you know, any other way that we did it. And I'm thankful we could do that. And I know that that was a lifeline for a whole lot of people, uh, in the church in, during an extremely difficult time. Uh, but never, should that be something that we think of as this is it now, this is how we're doing it now. Uh, or there's something deeply wrong with how we're thinking about what the church is. And so we've come to my final question. Why is TGC publishing this article now? If you know, if you know the story over the last year, uh, Jonathan Lehman published articles uh, trying to nuance and debate with uh, John MacArthur's elder statement that we need to meet for church and that we should all start meeting now. Many of the big evil leaders have encouraged us to follow the government guidelines to not meet. And, and again, various reasons, right? I'm, and I'm not, I'm not throwing all of those reasons out, right? I am on a podcast with a pastor whose church under the wise leadership of good elders made us a decision for a time, right? So I'm not throwing all that out. I'm not, I'm not condemning it all, but I am asking, why are we talking about this now? Pastor Michael, do you have an, do you have any, do you want to throw out, maybe it's dangerous to speculate, but that was the other thing that caught my eye about this article. Yeah. So, um, I want to give my best possible reading. Okay. And then and I'll then give my I own reading. To- like a defensive one. And then you can get yeah, yeah. it. But I also, I mean, I you got to steal have, man. We want to give know, the best. We right, do. I do. I want to, I want to steal man as much as possible, but like to give a really good reading of this, I think could be um, that you, you know, uh, have someone like Jonathan Lehman uh, writing on the gospel coalition. Now, Jonathan Lehman is, you know, connected with nine marks and 
let's say nine marks has a significantly better track record of understanding the importance of meeting for church than TGC does. Sure. Um, so there is overlap between nine marks and the gospel coalition, but it is by no means uh, the same. And we're coming off of, you know, nearly a decade of the gospel coalition promoting regularly churches and leaders and pastors um, and church structures that include the idea of multi-site that include mm-hmm. the idea of watching a guy preach on the screen and thinking that is your pastor. Um, and that's okay. Like that's a valid way to do this. And nine marks has stood against that very clearly. We did a yep. whole video with, uh, with Mark Dever and Mark talking Dever, to Mark Driscoll and McDonald all about uh, the problems of, of multi-site. And he was right. <laughs> he was right through and through. And uh, so I think we could probably pull some of his, you know, his similar uh, criticisms, even just talking about any kind of virtual church. Um, I think that that was probably a step toward virtual church, uh, you know, uh, doing the whole idea of multi-site. It was clearly a step in this direction already that led into, you know, you start to get things like, I think, what was it? Lifechurch.tv or whatever it was. Uh, Craig Rochelle, like, you know, the largest church in America, the fastest growing church in America. It was TV church. It wasn't a real church. It wasn't a real place. It was just a guy talking to a screen and saying that anybody who clicked on it is a member of the church. And so um, that is silly. And uh, so anyway, so my steel man would be that uh, on the one hand, uh, Lehman knows that there are many in the gospel coalition circles that think that virtual church is maybe a valid option or at least a potential option. And we're coming out of a time when even if you didn't like the idea of doing virtual church, you maybe you maybe had to use some of these virtual items to connect with people for a while. And there may be people, even in solid congregations, nine marks congregations, you know, solid uh, congregations who think, okay, well, I started to do it this way and I kind of like it. And so I'm going to stick with it that way. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay uh, at home now and that's okay. Um, And he's probably writing this in part to encourage those folks to come back. You know, yeah. those folks who are who are far from that to say, don't do that. That's not a valid option um, long term. It may be for a short time, but it is you need to start coming back. And uh, and that's a really valid that's a valid concern that I think is is good. I do think that actually the steel man reason is very close to what I think the reason is. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know. I, I would guess it's possible that because we're coming out of multi-site, they might be aware of churches in their sphere who is who are doing virtual campuses and probably are aware of people who are staying home. And I think that is it. I think that all of these churches that have so encouraged the stay home, stay safe, John MacArthur, it's not the time for civil disobedience, which is something Jonathan Lehman said about him meeting for church. I think you've basically spent a year sort of encouraging your people to not gather and now, and, and, and I don't mean, and I don't mean specifically Jonathan Lehman's church. I don't, you know, I don't know anything about that, but the, the general tenor of the kind of reformedish, restless evangelicalism has been encouraging that from Russell Moore's broadcast from his basement with his books, right? All of these things have encouraged this. And I think now they're trying to come back out of it, which is a good thing. And I think probably they know that a lot of the people who took a pretty strong stand on continuing to meet actually had a pretty solid public witness over time. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe a good way to bring this to a close then 
is to say there's a lot more. I mean, there's a lot more we could talk about here. Um, the the exact application to our present, you know, uh, situation and everything like that. Um, but the the reality is that uh, you right now listening to this could shut us off. You could hit pause and it's done. It's over. You literally never have to listen to us again. Um, we are, we are, uh, an abstraction at this point. Now we're real people, obviously. And we think that a podcast is a great way that we can connect with you. We've been able to connect with real people over this. Um, I've had real world conversations because of this. Um, and so it's not as though we think that this is useless. Otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. We think this is important what we're doing. Um, and the minute that we don't think it's important, we would stop. Like we said before, I mean, we do this on the side, right? So we are not, uh, we're not making big bucks doing this. Uh, we, we spend money currently to do this. And so we just think it's a valuable service that we can offer. We think it's important for uh, many people at this time. And so as long as we think that we're going to keep doing it. So it's not that we think that technology, that the virtual you know, world is necessarily all wrong, bad, evil, something like that. Um, however, you can turn us off at any point. You should not be able to turn off the people of God. You should not be able to turn off the worship of God. Um, you should not be able to, to say, okay, well, the church is here. Ah, you know, I'm not really having it right now. I'm not feeling it today. Okay. It's gone. It's over. You just close your computer, you hit mute, you hit pause and it's done. That is not the church, right? That's not, uh, that, that is not something that you should be able to do. Thanks for listening to the Restless Podcast. We hope you enjoy worship at your church this weekend. If you can't, uh, we are praying for you. We love you guys and hope you can soon. Uh, we're glad that you could listen. Hey, go and rate, review the show. We've had uh, increased listenership lately. So if this, if you're new to this, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you. We'd love to have you on the show. And uh, if you just go ahead, go leave us a rating, a review that helps get the word out a little bit more and, and uh, pushes Restless further into the virtual world.